0: Let's take our Bibles and go to Mark chapter 9. And you know, one day, every one of God's children are going to be around the throne of God and we're going to fall down and worship that holy God that we're singing about this morning forever. And He is, He is holy. And uh, you know, the Bible tells us, I believe it's in Philippians, that it says that one day every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. doesn't matter what they say on earth. One day they're all going to see. One day they're all going to see. They're all going to know that He is holy forever. Let's look at Mark chapter 9 here. And last week we finished up chapter 8. And we saw that Jesus told everybody that wanted to be His disciple that they had to deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow Him. And then He explained the reason that they must do this. And the reason was, hey, look, if you don't, then you will lose your soul. You will lose your life. If you do not follow me, then you will have wasted your life. And this morning in our text in Mark chapter 9, we see that Jesus gives his inner circle a taste of his glory and that which was to come. So let's look at Mark chapter 9, look at verse 1, look what he says here. It says, and he said unto them, Verily, I say unto you, That there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I just thank you that we can take this book and we can go through it verse by verse and see what you have for us. I pray that you'll give everybody here exactly what they need. I pray that you'll help us to be changed by the preaching of your word. Help us to be attentive to what you have for us and uh, that we'll just have open hearts to receive it. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here that's not trusted you for salvation, that today they would do so. So that they can know that they have eternal life and they can uh, partake of the coming glory of Christ uh, in heaven one day. I pray that you will just give me the right words to say. Help me to stay true to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God's definitely blessed all of us here with Breath and Life. and, And not only has he blessed us with life, but he's also blessed us with the opportunity to have many incredible experiences, hasn't he? Everybody has had experiences that they enjoy. And you know some some experiences are different than others. Uh, Maybe you enjoy the experience of catching a big fish, right? Or riding a snowmobile or a four-wheeler on an open trail or uh, winning a big game. Or maybe you've had a great experience uh, such as the birth of your children. Uh, Or maybe uh, a great experience on your wedding day. Or maybe uh, many of you have experienced the wonderful experience of the day of your salvation. We've all had awesome experiences that God, by His grace has allowed us to have. But I think it's safe to say that no experience comes close to matching what the disciples experienced in those three years that they walked with Jesus Christ. You know, we've seen a lot over Mark, the book of Mark as we've gone through, verse by verse. You know, the the disciples, they they experienced a lot of awesome things. They experienced uh, water turning into wine. They saw lepers cleansed and healed. They saw blind men given their sight. They they saw dead men raised to life. They saw thousands fed with just a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. And they saw countless other miracles. But I think there was one experience that surpassed them all. And again, Peter, James, and John, they got to see something that probably surpasses any experience that anybody could have uh, in the history of the earth. And that would be the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Christ. So let's go ahead and begin by looking in here. We'll, we'll start here with the transfiguration. Look at verse 1. It says, And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And Jesus is simply in that verse. He's explaining, hey, that, hey, listen, some of you here, some of you disciples are going to have a foretaste of my glory. And this incredible experience would happen just six days after these words. Look at verse 2. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. So Jesus, he he takes these three disciples up to a mountain, and uh, most likely Mount Hermon. And Luke's account tells us that Jesus, he didn't just go up to this mountain just to, to look at the view. He didn't just go up to this mountain to have a talk with the disciples. He went up to this mountain to pray. That's what Luke's account tells us. And we'll, we'll go to Luke in a little bit here. But, but you know, going to just come apart and to pray to the Father, that was a very common practice with Jesus, wasn't it? We've seen that several times. Uh, he was so reliant on prayer that he often would, would just come apart and get away from the crowds and even get away from his own disciples just so that he could take the time to pray and seek the Father's will and to, to really just uh, align himself with the Father's will. Now I want you to consider this morning, though this isn't really the the point of the message, this was a a common practice for Jesus Christ. Is it a common practice for you? Do you take the time to just break off and pray? If Christ needed to take the time away to pray, then how much more do we? Dale Moody said that he that stands, or I'm sorry, he said that he who kneels the most stands the best. He who kneels the most stands the best. You know, we need time in daily prayer we need times in every day where we seek the will of God in prayer where we're seeking the wisdom of God asking him uh, for wisdom and we're seeking the heart of God in prayer and you know we would stand a lot better in different areas of our life if we would just take the time to pray right. you know consider this this morning some of you here are unable to stand against the temptation to sin because you spend such little time in prayer Some of you here may have no boldness to stand before men and proclaim the gospel because you spent such little time in prayer. Maybe some of you here struggle with fear and doubt and a lack of faith because you spent such little time in prayer. We need to be people of prayer. And if Christ needed to pray, then we're most needy of it. But as Christ, as He took these men up to this mountain to pray, this time of prayer was not just any normal time of prayer. It was not just any usual thing. At the end of the verse, uh, verse 2, it says that Christ was transfigured before them. That word transfigured comes from a Greek word that means to change in form or to be transformed. The form and the appearance of Jesus Christ completely changed. And this describes a change on the outside that comes from the inside. Jesus' inward glory was shown outwardly. Now you may say, okay, well, what, was, what was this change? What did this transfiguration of Christ look like? Well, look at verse 3. We see his appearance in verse 3. Look what it says. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. So the garments of Jesus, they, be, they began to shine whiter than snow. They were so white, it could not get any whiter. It could not get any brighter. And the word shining here is used of a flashing sword. So you can imagine how insane this would be. But not only did his garments change, the Bible also tells us in Matthew's account that his face shined like the sun. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17 and look at that. Look at Matthew 17 and we'll look at verse 1 and 2 here. Matthew 17 verse 1 and 2, it says, just as Mark says, it says, After six days... Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So imagine the scene for a moment. Jesus is on this mountain, and he's praying, and suddenly his garments begin to glisten, And they begin to flash, and they begin to shine, and they were as bright as can be. And here He is, His face is shining as bright as the sun. His glory radiated through His whole being. Man, what a sight! And look, this again proves to us, as we've seen time and time again in the book of Mark, that there is indeed nobody like Jesus Christ. You know why? Because He was God in the flesh. This is yet more proof that he was God. And and that there was no one like him. Look, he and he alone is the only one that is able to save mankind from their sin. He and he alone was God in the flesh. He and he alone is the way of salvation. As he was sent as God in the flesh to bring us forgiveness from sin. He is unlike any other. And this text right here proves to us that he exceeds all others. He is indeed like no other God. No other God compares to Him. No other supposed deity compares to Him. Hey, I want you to know something. You ought to rejoice in this this morning. He is greater than Muhammad. He is greater than Buddha. He is greater than Allah. He is greater than any man that has lived and died. Because Christ was buried after He was killed and He arose again. And He proved Himself to be God in the flesh. So again, there's nobody like Jesus Christ. And you know, if you would trust on Him for salvation today, and trust on no one else, and nothing else, then one day, you will see Him in His glorified state. You know, with, with heavenly eyes, you will see Him as He is. And really, this event in our text, in Mark chapter 9, it gives us a taste of the glory that will fill heaven one day. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. And this is a wonderful passage. Look at we'll just read one verse here in 1 John chapter 3. And look at verse 2. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And what a promise. This is inc- this is incredible. What a great day this will be. You know, one day all that are saved, all those that are in Christ, they will see Him as He is. In heaven, His glory will shine. The light that shines from Him will fill the heavens. We will see the fullness of His glory. But you know what's even... Another thing that's really awesome about this, that verse also says that we will also be like Him. We will be like Him. We will have a glorified body as Christ. Philippians 3 verse 21 says that Christ shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. And look, this is a a promise for all of God's children. You know what's awesome about that? To know that we're no longer going to have a vile body. That means that we're not going to have any more pain, no more suffering, no more aches, no more aging, no more tears. Nothing. It's all going to be gone. Hey, Dale, you know one day, you're never going to have any problems walking around. Never. Linda, you're going to have new eyes. And Judy, I don't know where she is. Maybe she's in the nursery. You're going to have new eyes. Heavenly eyes. You're never going to have problems like that again. Hey, listen. If you've lost a loved one and they've trusted on Christ too, you're going to see them again and you're never going to lose them ever again. They're never going to go. You're never going to have pain. You're never going to experience death ever again. God will make all things new. Everything will just be wonderful in heaven. I want to ask you this. Can you cling to that promise? This lamb whose face shined as white as snow here in Mark chapter 9, He can cleanse us from our sins and He can can make us as white as snow too and He can bring us to heaven. But consider that this morning. Will you have a glorified body that dwells with Christ forever in heaven when you take your last, last breath? Have your sins been forgiven? Has God cleansed you and created in you A clean heart. Will you one day see Christ as he is? If you're uncertain, as I often do, I urge you to trust on Christ today. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. There's no one like Jesus. He and he alone has the power to save. He is above all others that have ever walked on the earth. So trust in him. And that brings us to the next section. If you would, please go back to Mark chapter 9. We see that Christ conversed with a couple of men. But we know that he's greater than any man that's ever walked the earth, including these people. Look at Mark chapter 9. And verse 4, we see his company. We'll look at verse 4, 5, and 6. It says, And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. So to make this event even more incredible, not only is Jesus there, with his face shining like the sun, with his garments as white as can be, Moses and Elijah are standing there with him. And they're talking to each other. So this this appearance really with Elijah and Moses, by the way, is monumental. One man commented that Elijah and, and Moses, they were like the George Washingtons of Jewish history. For them to be able to see these people would be tremendous. Now you say, why? Well, Moses represented the law. And Elijah represented the prophets. And by the way, both of those sections of scripture, both the law and the prophets, they foretold of Christ's coming. And both of them found their fulfillment in this man. Who was God? Jesus Christ. So really, you say, well, what was the purpose then of, of, of their appearance with Christ? I'll tell you why. To affirm that Christ was God. It was to affirm to them that, they, that, that this God-man was the one that they foretold of. And we know that Jesus Christ, he was sent to do for us what the law could never do. And the law only points out our desperate need for Jesus Christ. And all of this, it was happening On this mount, and again, it was we had Peter, James, and John. But you know what's kind of funny about this? Mark doesn't uh, mention this, and and we know that Mark and Peter, you know, they were they were kind of buddies. Uh, Mark was, or rather, Peter was mentoring Mark, so maybe he left this out on purpose. But Peter, James, and John, they were asleep, and they woke up to this. Go to Luke chapter nine. We see this account. In Luke's account, he speaks of this. Look at Luke chapter 29. Start with verse 29 read down to verse 32. In Luke chapter chapter 9 verse 29. It says of Jesus. And as he prayed. The fashion of his countenance was altered. And his raiment was white and glistening. Or uh, glistering. And behold. There talked with him two men. Which were Moses and Elias who appeared in glory, and spake of his uh, his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter, when they that were with him, were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory, and the two men that stood with him. Okay, so here they are, the disciples woke up to this. And this wasn't the first time, or rather the last time, that they would fall asleep either, by the way, when Jesus was praying. But we're told here that these three men... They were asleep, and by the way, if you again going back to Mark chapter nine, we know that they were afraid. Well, I can only imagine how afraid that they were when they would wake up to this. And by the way, this fear that is written of in Mark chapter nine speaks of a violent fear. And uh, again, waking up to such a thing would scare anyone. I remember one time; uh, it was back when we were living at the mission house in the dead of night. Randomly, our fire alarms went off. That was scary. You know, it just out of nowhere. You know, and, uh, you, we were afraid because of the, the noise, first of all. But secondly, we were afraid because we thought there was a fire in the house. And there wasn't. But I just remember how scary that would be. So I can imagine how, how afraid Peter, James, and John, who were sleeping on this mountain, how scared they would be to wake up to this. I mean, suddenly out of nowhere, they thought Jesus was just praying. And now his face is shining like the sun. His garments are as white as can be. Uh, his glory was surrounding them. And now there were two men that were not there before so, this would be crazy. And then again, we, we already read this, but Peter in his fear, even though he did not know what to say, as usual, he had something to say. Well, let's, let's, let's go back, look at Mark chapter 5 and 6. I'll just read it since I already read it a couple times. If you're not there, that's okay. It says, And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias, for he wits not what to say, for they were sore afraid. Now, you know, Peter, you know some people, they just, if they're afraid or they're nervous, they'll just start talking. Well, that's what Peter did here. And that's just what he always did, right? He always had something to say, even when he did not know what to say. So Peter said, hey, to Christ, it's good for us to be here, meaning this it's beautiful. This is awesome. He thought this was wonderful. And it was, of course. And he was so taken back by this, he did not want this to end. So what did he say? He said, let's build three tabernacles. One for each of you. And by the way, some people think that this, this is speaking of an altar, but actually it's not. It's talking about a shelter or a tent. He wanted to build a shelter for all three of them. And he wanted to do this because he wanted this mountaintop experience to last. He wanted to keep them there. <laughs> Which, I mean, I can't blame him. This would be a wonderful thing to see. He wanted them to stay. But after Peter gave his unwanted inputs, a voice from heaven added another layer of affirmation to cap off this entire event. Look at verse 7. This is just great. Look at this. It says in verse 7, And there was a cloud that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. And this, this event just has layer upon layer upon layer of awesome, doesn't it? First, Christ reveals his glorified self, and then Moses and Elijah, they appear with him, and now suddenly a cloud overcomes the disciples and overcomes Jesus. And by the way, this cloud was the Shekinah glory cloud of God. And this was the same cloud that filled the temple that Solomon built. This was the same cloud that led the Israelites by day as they fled Egypt. This was the presence of God. And just as, Mark, as uh, Jesus, uh, God did in Mark chapter 1, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, the voice of God thunders from heaven, and he gives Jesus Christ divine approval. Amen. The voice said, This is my beloved son. Amen. Now, in this culture, a son was seen as separate, but their father's equal. This is why he said this. Jesus, of course, we know he's part of the Trinity, and this is the case. He is distinct, but he is equal. So God said, This is my beloved son. But he also said, Hear him. Hear him. And this command to hear Christ, it's speaking of a continuous action. As if God was saying to the disciples, Peter, James, and John, Hey, listen, be constantly hearing what my son has to say to you. Be constantly listening. But this hearing, it does not refer to just the act of hearing, but rather, in the sense of listening to and, and, and really listening to be obedient to what he says. Listening to what you hear him say. So in essence, God says from heaven to these disciples, Hey, this is my son. You need to do what he says. You need to listen to him and obey his words. Now, if you're a parent of a child or you've had children, you know what it's like to for a child to hear what you say and yet not do, right? Maybe, like me, you've had times where you've given your child a task, like cleaning the room or sweeping the floor, whatever it is, and, and they look you right in the face to say, okay. And then you come back an hour later, and you look, and everything's exactly the same as it was when you told them to do that task. And you say to them, why didn't you clean your room, or why didn't you do what I told you to do? And they say, I didn't hear you say that. <laughs> is it just me, or is that a thing? Okay. They may have heard, but they were not listening. They may have heard, but they did not hear with the intention of obeying. So God says to these disciples, hey, hear him. Obey him. He's God in the flesh. Do what he says. Obey his word. And church, just as God commanded these disciples to hear him, today I urge you to hear him. Do what God says. Obey His Word. And you say, well, how do we hear Him today? Well, Peter, who was on this mountain when Christ was transfigured, he reminisces on this incredible event that we just read about in Mark chapter 9. And he tells us exactly how we can hear from God. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll start with verse 16. And when you really take into consideration what Peter's saying here, it's, it's mind boggling. Look at what it says in verse 16 of 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're eyewitnesses of His majesty. So let me just stop right there. I'm just going to kind of commentate as I go through. He says, look, I've seen His glory. I saw Him on the mount. I saw Him when He was transfigured. And He he kind of elaborates on that. Look what it says in verse 17. For He received from God the Father honor and glory. He got the divine approval. When there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Peter says... I experienced the glory of Christ. I saw his glory. I saw the transfiguration. Again, we know he saw Moses and Elijah. He was super excited about it. He heard the voice of God. He saw the cloud of God, which is the presence of God all around him. And yet he says in verse 19 that we have something even greater than this mountaintop experience that he had. We have something greater than the glory cloud surrounding us. And hearing words from God in heaven. And you know what he says we have? We have the word of God. Amen. We have the prophetic and true word of God. Now, we all love mountaintop experiences, don't we? We love moments where God makes himself real to us in unexplainable ways. But here's the thing, church. Experiences do not Last. They're here and then they're gone. Peter's experience on this mountain, while it would be incredible and I would say life changing, it was really a fleeting moment in time. So, for this cause, Peter informs us that we have something far greater than this mountaintop experience that he even had. We have the true never-changing, authoritative, life-changing, and enduring word of God. And again, notice what he says in verse 19. If you would just look at that there again in Second Peter 1. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And look what it says, Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. You would do well to take heed. In other words, you would do well to hear him. You would do well to do what Christ has said to do. You would do well to pay close attention to the Word of God because it is a light that shines in a dark place. Now, Jesus, His his light and His glory shone on this mountain. But church, today, the Word of God is our light. It is our guide. It is our authority. So hear Him. Do what He says. Obey the Word of God. Whenever you open That Bible, commit to hearing Him. Commit to being obedient to what it says to do. Whenever you hear the Word of God preached from this pulpit, hear Him. Commit to being obedient to what the Word of God says to do. Whatever He tells you to do, be willing to do it. Hear Him. Do what He says. When you read the Scriptures and it says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, hear Him. Do what He says. Obey. Listen. When you're reading the scriptures and you see that Christ says, Love thy neighbor as thyself. Obey him. Love them. Point them to Jesus Christ. When you read the scriptures and you find that Christ says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be obedient to him. Do what he says. Pursue the things of God. When you read the word of God and you see that it says, Be ye holy as I am holy. Do what he has said. Pursue godliness. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. Obey Him. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Just like Peter, James, and John, we must hear Him. Now, Peter, he had that mountaintop experience where he got to hear the voice of God. But church, understand, we too have a mountaintop that can be found in our daily time in the Word of God and as we hear and listen to the preaching of God's Word. And this mountaintop experience of, of reading and studying and applying God's Word day in and day out, it far exceeds the transfiguration. Because again, it lasted for but a few moments, but guess what? The Word of God endures forever. Amen. And not only does it endure forever, did you know that the Word of God is life-changing? And here it is, it's readily, readily available. To you each day, at every moment. I want you to consider this morning. Do you hear Him? Do you obey what God has said? Do you daily open His Word to find what He has for you? Hey listen, if you're here this morning and and reading the Word of God is not part of your daily life. And listen, this is for teenager, adult, everybody. Everybody. If reading the Word of God is not part of your daily life, I challenge you to do this for a week and see what God does in your heart and your life. You want to know what's going to happen? It will change you. You will not be the same. Every single day, understand God has fresh bread that you need from His Word. He has something that you need for the day. He has wisdom, He has guidance, He has strength, He has truth that you need to live your Christian life every single day. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat down to read my Bible and just been blessed by it, just been encouraged by it. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've sat down to read my Bible and been given exactly what I needed on that day right when I needed it. And if you would commit to reading His Word each day, what God will do in your heart and life will be incredible. You will gain wisdom. You say, well, I I can't understand it. Well, listen, just read a little bit. Read a couple verses. Think about the verses. Read something simple. Read something in the gospel. Read the Psalms. Just take the time to read it and meditate on it. You will gain wisdom. He will point out sin in your life. You will be encouraged. You will love other people more. You will have increased joy. Your faith in God will grow. You will become more godly. And therefore, you will become more like Christ. It will impact your life greatly. So do it. Read His Word. Hear Him. Obey Him. Commit to reading the awesome Word of God. Be committed to to reading the more sure word of Scripture and see how it changes you. You can have a daily mountaintop experience with God as you read His never-changing word. But additionally, maybe you're here this morning, you say, well, you know, I, I do pretty good about that. If that's the case, then praise the Lord. That's awesome. You know what you need to do? You need to be thankful that we have the word of God. Be thankful. You know, not, every, not everybody does have the full canon of Scripture like we do. We are blessed. Be thankful for the Word of God. Thank God for His Word. Thank God for this light and darkness. I, I thank God that we don't have to walk this earth and live our life clueless about what God wants us to do. He has told us what He wants us to do right here. Thank God for His Word. Are you thankful for His Word? Are you thankful for this uh, more sure word of prophecy? And do you hear from our gracious and loving and awesome God? I'm sure that there are some here this morning. You've not yet trusted in Christ for salvation. Again, I've I've mentioned this a little bit already, but maybe you're here. You've been trusting in some work to be forgiven by God. Maybe today God's opened your eyes to the truth. Maybe you've seen and you now know I need Christ. You know, Jesus said uh, in John, he said, ye must be born again. You must be born again. He said also, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And if you've not trusted on him this morning, then I call you to hear him. Believe on him. Be forgiven of your sins. Trust on Christ and have eternal life. Hear him. Do what he has said. Obey him. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.